Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah is on page 553 in your Bible. <laughs> it is in between Jonah and Nahum. In the, the sticky part of your Bible, those minor prophets as they have been referred to. I just want to read one uh, verse in your hearing. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. We continue our theme of rediscover. We've been talking all month about rediscover and and today we want to talk about uh, rediscover as it relates to the birth of Christ in the city of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. I want to speak this morning on this subject, rediscover Bethlehem. Rediscover Bethlehem. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be gathered together in your house with your people and to have your word, Lord, that we can go to, that guides us and directs us in our life. Help us, God, as we open our hearts and minds to your word, that, Lord, your word can go forth and fall on good ground. Let it resonate in our hearts and spirits, and let us be changed from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Of all of the cities in the world that Jesus could have been born in, it was foretold from the Old Testament prophet that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Now that seemed like a very unlikely choice. It is described in Micah as the smallest among thousands in Judah. And it's interesting when you think about all the cities that the Lord could have chosen to be born in, that he chose this little insignificant town of Bethlehem. This past week we were with some friends of ours and we were discussing different cities that uh, we enjoy and that we like, the five greatest cities in North America, five greatest international cities. And uh, as different people in our group started sharing what their uh, five favorite cities were, it was almost common to all of our group that we shared places that were special because of a very specific reference that we had to. Maybe we had been to that city on vacation. Maybe we grew up in that city. Maybe we had a uh, great experience in that city going to college. But whatever the city was that we had an affinity toward, it was because of an experience that we had in that city. And when we look at Bethlehem and we think about why Jesus would choose Bethlehem, some would, would speculate that Bethlehem was chosen as the birth of Christ because David was from the same place. Oftentimes in the ministry of Jesus, it refers to him as the son of David. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. But yet, when we study the nativity of Christ, we recognize that it is a point of uh, or origination or orientation rather than a place of coronation or culmination. It's a, it's a thing that is original, the nativity of Christ, something that was to be a trendsetter. The, the King James says, whose goings forth hath been from old, from everlasting. The NIV says, whose origins have been from ancient times. 
The wonderful thing about the Lord, the God that you and I serve, is that He's not a copycat. He's the original. I said He's the original. He's the real thing. I'm glad we've got the original. Years ago, Coca-Cola thought they'd come out with a new Coke. How many of you are old enough you'll remember that? It was a tremendous failure. We didn't want new Coke. We wanted the classic, the original Coke. Let me tell you something about the Lord you serve. He's not a new fad. He's not a new Coke. He's not a new God. He's the classic. He's the original. Oh, hallelujah. So the birth at Bethlehem set a precedent rather than fulfilling a foreshadowing. Everything that God does is on purpose. It's not by uh, accident or by happenstance. God doesn't just uh, do something on a whim that is without a purpose or reason. The very fact that you're on this earth breathing air is not an accident. You're here on purpose. God breathed into you the breath of life. He formed you and created you in the image of God. You're not an accident. Now, your mom and daddy may not have been planning on you, but you're still not an accident. God created you in His image. You say, oh, but pastor, you don't know how I was raised. It doesn't matter how you was raised or how I was raised. It's still the same God that loved us all, and His love for us is the common denominator that brings us all together. You're not just an accident, and your existence here is not insignificant. You're an you're a individual that God has a plan and a calling and a destiny for your life. You're here on purpose. So there's a reason that this city was chosen for the birth of Christ. Perhaps several reasons. We won't try to get into all of them. And as we look at this and we sort of want to unpack this this morning and talk about rediscovering Bethlehem, I believe one of the things that we can know is that these uh, illustrations of what Bethlehem was then and what it means to us now is not something new. It's not that we perhaps didn't even know it before, but it's, a, it's the process of rediscovery. This is what's so neat about God and His Word. A lot of times, things have been there all along, but we just rediscover it. We rediscover it. Like, for instance, you may know that God is great. Brother Jeff just saying about how great God is. But you can know that and maybe known it all your life. But yet you can go through something in your life where you're in a desperate need or a situation or maybe you got a child that's sick and God comes through in the middle of the night for you and you rediscover how great God is. Oh, hallelujah. That's the kind of God we serve. He's not stale. He's not static. He is a God, hallelujah, that is in flux. He's real. He's alive. He's vibrant, hallelujah. And he's as close as the very mention of his name. So I'm excited to share with you this morning that when we talk about Bethlehem, we're not just talking about a, a location, a city in the Middle East somewhere. We're not talking about just an old story of 2,000 plus years ago. But I'm talking about a God that has a Bethlehem experience for every one of us today because He's a God that keeps reinventing Himself and allowing you and I to know that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's an ever-present help in a time of need. And what He was then, He is now and will be in the future. Oh, hallelujah. So 
Let's rediscover Bethlehem. First of all, we know from even the text that we read from Micah that Bethlehem was insignificant. It was small. But here's what's neat about this. God is drawn to small things. Insignificant things. There's been things even in your life that have been seemingly insignificant, but God was drawn to it. Maybe it was you volunteering. Maybe it was you helping. Maybe it was you uh, reaching out and sacrificing when you didn't have to. And you know what? God, heaven made note of it. And you've already forgotten about it. But heaven marked it down and said, you know what? It may have just been an insignificant thing, but heaven took notice of it. He's drawn to small things that may not all be that visible. We know that man is drawn to big things. Man likes all the big stuff, the big splash, the big crowds, the big stars, the big news, the big buildings, big stadiums, big Walmart, super Walmart. Big, 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 big. <laughs> but God is drawn to small things. The hem of the garment. The widow's might. Five loaves and two fishes. Little Zacchaeus in the tree. Young David with a sling. He whittled Gideon's army down from 32,000 to 300. And then gave him the victory. When he had 32,000 men, he said, you got too many men. But, well, it don't make sense because we're going up against an army that we can't even count. It don't matter. You can have an army that's innumerable. And one with God is a majority. <laughs> ah, if God be for us, who can be against us? And the Lord said again, you got too many people. Tell all the ones that don't want to fight to go home. Say what? Send them home. So he did. Any of you guys chicken, you don't want to fight? Bunch of scaredy cats? You're welcome to just sort of go off on your own. There may be one or two you want to leave. We're not going to judge you for it. You can go on back to mama. He probably tried to frame it so nobody would leave. 22 of the 32,000 said, we're out of here. We're going home. And he's left with 10,000. The Lord looks at him and says, Yeah, you still got too many. God is drawn to small things. Then he takes them down the water and says, Tell the ones that are real thirsty, just lap up water, see how they drink. And the ones that lapped up water and kept their heads out there and looked and lapped water on their hands like the enemy could be coming. They didn't, you know, they're, they're, they had some manners. The Lord said, Those were the ones we're going to keep. Everybody else had just dove into the water and stuck their head down there and just gobbled up water. Those were going to send home. And Gideon's looking around his crowd thinking, there won't be anybody left. None of these boys graduated from etiquette school. Sure enough, 9,700 of them went. And only 300 of them lapped up water in their hands like a dog looking down the hills. And there was only 300 left. And then the Lord said, it's time for battle. Woo! You say, God, I don't know why you're whittling me down so much. Because he's fixing to do something supernatural in your life. But he's got to make it small before he can do a work. You keep trying to make it big. God's trying to whittle it down so that God can be at work. God don't need a thousand people. God doesn't need 500 people. All God needs is two or three that are gathered together in my name. And there I'll be in the midst of them. 
All he needs is one young person in a public school that'll stand for righteousness. All he needs is two or three to stand for righteousness. L3 Harris or wherever you work, it doesn't matter. All God needs is something that is seemingly small or insignificant. He's drawn to that. He was drawn to Bethlehem. Oh, it was the smallest. Gideon, whenever the Lord chose him through the visitation of the angel, he said, I'm the least of my father's house. Yeah, that's why God's chosen you. When King Saul was chosen, he, he said, I'm of the smallest tribe and I've got the smallest family. The prophet Samuel said, that's why God's chosen you. When Saul got lifted up in his own sight, that's when God distanced himself. But when he was small in his own eyes, God was drawn to him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is drawn to the least among us. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to be famous for God to find you. I said, you don't have to be famous for God to find you. Oh, hallelujah. He found David when he was just a shepherd boy. He was so insignificant, the family didn't even invite him to the house. Prophets come, he's going to anoint one of the boys to be king. They lined up all the boys except David. He was so insignificant, they didn't even invite him up to the house. But God found him. Because David's out there with his harp. He's singing songs. He's writing songs. He's worshiping the Lord. That's what God's drawn to. I don't know what crisis. I don't know what dark midnight hour you may have gone through. But I've come to tell you, nobody else may know. You may be suffering in silence. You may think it's something little. But God sees it. Hallelujah. And he's drawn to that. That seems like it means nothing to anybody else. God sees it. God knows you may not be very important. You may not see yourself as being anything very significant. I want to tell you something. God's drawn to that. You may just be a number. When I worked at the bank up in Minnesota, I was in Bible school. People wouldn't remember their savings and checking account numbers. So they'd come in and they wouldn't have it. Instead of looking it up, I just learned the regular customers. I would memorize their numbers. And so when they would come in, they'd say, we don't, we don't have our number. And I'd say, no problem. And I'd do the number and people in the bank would start to laugh, the other tellers, because I would say, here comes number 24608397, and here comes 840, and da-da-da-da. That was probably a breach of confidentiality and all that, but they were just numbers. Now, to the tax office, you may just be a number to somebody. At the Social Security Bureau, you may just be a number to somebody. Down there at the, uh, the, 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 the vehicle place, what do they call that, where you get your tag? DMV. You may just be a number down there to them people. But the Bible said God knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Oh, hallelujah. He knows when a sparrow falls out of a tree. The Bible says in the Old Testament, he opened his hand and satisfied the desire of every living creature. If God knows when a squirrel's looking for an acorn that he hid a few months ago, if he knows when a sparrow falls from a tree, if he knows the number of hairs on your head, don't you think he knows what you went through this week? You're not lost. God knows who you are. 
He's drawn to the Bethlehems among us. Something that seems so small and insignificant. God is drawn to the humble. He's not drawn to the haughty. He's drawn to sincerity, not success. God's not drawn to the miraculous. Because God is the miraculous. You know what God is drawn to? He's drawn to the mess. The mistakes. So many times the enemy tries to convince us, well, you better not go down that altar. You better not let them elders pray for you because you've still got junk in your life. you still got stuff going on. You even lost your temper this week and almost ran that car on the road. You almost, uh, that lady tried to steal that toy from you in Target. You almost <laughs> ran her over with your buggy. <laughs> you got too many mistakes. You can't, but I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm glad that God's drawn to imperfect people. Oh, thank God. If he was drawn, if he was only drawn to perfect people, everybody in this building would be in trouble. But God, hallelujah, is drawn to a man or a woman who says, I haven't always done it right. I got a lot of mess. I've made a lot of mistakes. But God, here I am. God is drawn to that. He's drawn to the mess, the mistakes, and the manger. He's not drawn to the beautiful. He's drawn to the barn. That's where he's born. In a manger. A trough where they used to feed animals out there with all the manure and everything. The king of kings and the lord of lords. Because he's drawn to the insignificant. Oh, I'm so glad he is. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be perfect people. The least, the smallest the most insignificant. God is drawn to that. But there has to be more than just the fact that Bethlehem was small, that God was drawn to this city. Because remember, he could be born in any city in the world, but he chose Bethlehem, the smallest, the most insignificant. But yet God was drawn to it. But there had to be even smaller places than Bethlehem. So there must have been more what else was it about Bethlehem that caused the Lord to be drawn to it? As I studied the name Bethlehem, I've learned that Bethlehem in the Hebrew means house of bread. Ooh, I like that. House of bread. Now you can sit there and look holy if you want to, but I love bread. Mm. Ooh, the other night my wife and I were coming back from the west coast of Florida and we were driving back over and she said where do you want to eat and I said I don't know where you want to eat and she said I don't know where you want to eat and I said I don't know where you want to eat that's kind of how it works what that means is I know where I don't want to eat but I don't know where I want to eat so you list a lot of things and I'll tell you which one I want so we start I got a witness now <laughs> So we, we started down the list, and finally, um, we settled in on Red Lobster. Some of y'all are hungry right now, boy, I can tell. <laughs> Some of y'all ordering it right now on your cell phones, I can feel it in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> When I thought of Red Lobster, 
I thought of that bread that they bring you out ahead of time. Oh, God, that bread. Manna from heaven. Cheese biscuits. They bring that stuff out there and set it down in front of you. They're like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't even want anything right now. I'm working on this basket. <laughs> Woo! And then they tell you, you no know, bread is carbs. You got to cut bread out. Have you ever tried to cut bread out of your diet? That's pretty much everything. <laughs> because bread is a staple. It's substantive. It's something that'll stick to your ribs. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Man, they got bread. And when you think about bread, you think about it as, in the natural, you think of it as a substantive aspect of our diet. But in the spiritual, it's the same thing. The bread of life is spiritually substantive. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I got a substantive God. He's not a flaky God. He's not one of these gods that you think... He's real, but then when you need him, he's not there, and it's just mystical and clouds, and you can't put your... God gives you something you can put your teeth in. You get your arms around it. Woo! Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hopeful. There is something about this Bethlehem that was the house of bread, that when God decided that he would robe himself in flesh and be born in the city of Bethlehem, in a manger, in a stable... He said, I'm going to pick Bethlehem because it's the house of bread. Oh, we know he's the bread of life. But I've come to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that when you come to the Lord, you're not serving a God that you've got to take somebody else's word for, that your grandmama, your grandpapa, or somebody, you can know God for yourself. He'll give you an undeniable experience that is substantive. great example of this is given in 1 Samuel 21. David is running for his life from King Saul. He's a fugitive. Saul is he's threatened by this. He's in a backslidden state. It's obvious that God's hand is upon David. He sees that as a threat to his throne. So David is running and he's, he, he, he needs something to eat. He goes and sees the priest, Imelech, and he says, I, I, I need five loaves of bread. And the priest said, we don't have any common bread, but we do have some of this hallowed bread. Ooh, hallelujah. We got some of this fresh bread that we use for the, the, the table of showbread. Every morning, and the Bible said they put it up there for you. It said, there's no common bread of mine hand, but there's this hallowed bread. The young men have kept themselves a leaper. If you purified yourself, go on to verse 6. Then we got this fresh bread. So the priest gave him hallowed bread holy bread for there was no bread there but the show bread that was taken from before the lord to put hot bread oh how many of you like hot bread you ever had bread when it just come out of the oven it's hot Woo. oh we love to go to this place down in uh missouri when the kids go to the bible quiz and championships and it's in the springfield Missouri, Branson, Missouri area, and it's a restaurant called Lambert's. How many of you ever been to Lambert's? Now I hear Lambert's is a good place. 
And you get a lot to eat at Lambert's. But they got something they do that's so much fun. They got a guy or a girl or whoever works there that comes out with a big tray that's on wheels. And, and they got all of this fresh bread that's all piled up on the cart. And they come out there and they got their hands on this bread. And they start going, hot bread! Hot bread! Hot bread! Hot bread! Y'all, y'all don't want to go to Lambert's this morning. We'll bring Lambert's right here to you. And, and when they start hollering, hot bread, hot bread, you have to put your hand up. And when you put your hand up, that means you're ready for some fresh bread. Hot bread, hot bread, hot bread. Hot bread, hot bread. Brother Jeff, these must be Gator fans. They can't catch. Hot bread. Hot bread, hot bread, hot bread, hot bread. Y'all are struggling. I'm going to get here a little closer with you. Now, this is not hot, but it is from Publix this morning. I bought it myself. I like that. I may just do this the rest of the day. I apologize. I don't have on special little gloves that they do at Lambert's. You say, what's the spiritual significance about that? The God that you and I serve is not just some ancient good person that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. It's some sort of an ancient Christmas story. Ladies and gentlemen, you serve a God that is as relevant today as he was 2,000 years ago. This bread of life is not stale. This bread of life is not some old ancient story that doesn't have any relevance of what I'm going through today. It's hot. It's fresh. It's real. It's alive. It's a God that you can know for yourself. It's right off the coals of fire. Hallelujah. It's a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's for whosoever will. It's fresh. And it's a God that wants to do something in your life today, right now. Mm. Bethlehem is the house of hot bread. It's the nativity of fresh bread, new life. Not just some story of Christmas that we've heard over and over again. But this hot bread, this is God made flesh. This is the Word being made bread. This was the invisible being made substantive. God manifest in the flesh. Living and breathing 
and a God that is real so that you can know Him, so that you can be saved. This is the message for us today. It's not just the Bethlehem of 2,000 years ago, but it's the Bethlehem of a God that is the hot, fresh, living bread of 2019. Ladies and gentlemen, He's the hope of this world. What this world is longing for is what this God has. He's a real God. He's, he's the hope for a hopeless generation. He's unspeakable joy. Mm. And when you get a hold of that bread, it brings purpose and meaning to your life. This is the story of a real God, a true Savior. God who you can know for yourself. I think about every year I hear, as you do, these same old Christmas songs, same old stories, same old common bread of St. Nick and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Aren't you tired of all that? Aren't you ready for some table of show bread? Aren't you ready for some hot bread? The story of Jesus, a Messiah that's born in a manger who can deliver you and put purpose in your life and give you substance that can make a difference. That's hot bread. Oh, I'm glad I serve a substantive God. A God that can heal your body. A God that can reveal himself to you so that you can know that you know that you know that God is alive and that God is concerned of where I'm at and that God is involved in the details of every aspect of my life because he is a God of substance. Something you can sink your teeth in. You can know. And then we find that Bethlehem is built on an aquifer of springs, wells of water that are a source of strength. It was known for it then, it's known for it now. And in fact, at one point, the Bible tells us they were in a battle and David and his men were fighting against Saul's army and he was so exhausted that he just said out loud, oh, that I could drink from the water of the wells of Bethlehem. There was something about the water that came out of those springs in Bethlehem. There was something about it that gave him a sense of inspiration, something that would give him strength. And some of the men that were around there, they heard him and, and they fought their way through enemy lines because to get back to Bethlehem from where David's army was, the, the enemy was between them and Bethlehem and those wells of water. And yet they fought their way through under the cloak of darkness and, and, and having to dodge spears and, and taking their own life and, and, and wondering about the risk of every single moment. But they got through it all and they got to those wells that were in Bethlehem and they got water out of it. And then they had to carry this water and they had to make their way back to where David was. And somehow they survived all that. And they said, David, here's the water from the wells of Bethlehem. David said, you went and got this water from the wells of Bethlehem? Yes, it's so fresh. Right out of the wells of Bethlehem. Springing up into everlasting life. Woo, therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. That's what Isaiah chapter 12 says. Oh, this God that you and I serve, he's hot bread, but he's also living water. 
He's living water that bubbles up, bubbles up, and overflows. David said, I can't drink this water. You had to risk your life for this water. And he takes the water and he pours it out on the ground. But because of what those men did, the sacrifice, you know what he says? He says, I've got the strength that I need. And David and his men go on and win the battle. They win the battle because of the sacrifice of living water. Ladies and gentlemen, was there anybody that paid a greater sacrifice than Jesus Christ of Nazareth so that you and I could have a well? Not just something that you stick your toe in. Sometimes you've got to just be totally consumed with the water that comes out of the wells of God's Spirit. Some people just want to put their toe in it, just want to splash around in the water. But then there's those crazy Pentecostals down at First Pentecostal Church that says, I want to be drenched in the water. I don't want to just put my toe in it. I want to be covered in the water. I got a God of substance. I got a God that's drawn to the least among us. Oh, you ought to stand to your feet. You ought to lift your voice and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. He is my strength. Gospels record that as y'all okay over there? <laughs> you can stay standing. I'm all done. I got some extra bread for you guys that had to go through the, <laughs> the terror. Gospels record that Jesus sits on a well in Samaria and talks to a lady. She needs, she needs the Lord, but she doesn't realize it. A lot of times that's the case with all of us. She wants to talk about the history of these wells. and She's still thinking in terms of the natural. The Lord takes her to the spiritual. He says, ma'am, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But I come to give you living waters. That if you drink of these waters, you'll never thirst again. 
never thirst again. Living waters springing up from deep down. If you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. So here's Jesus, a child that's born in Bethlehem, a Savior. Also, living waters. He's a well. Fresh bread. Mighty God. Yet he's drawn to those insignificant things. The everlasting Father, and yet he is the Son of God. He's the Prince of Peace. Bethlehem was a source of natural water then, and it still is today as it supplies strength to those that live amongst those hills, shepherds that still populate that area, sheep, livestock, visitors. It supplies strength to all that visit. But more than 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem produced another spring of water that provides strength for the entire world. Strength that you and I cannot provide for ourselves. The Gospel of Luke records that Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, only that the Holy Ghost was not yet given. But it is now, and it has been ever since Jesus ascended and went into heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, that well, that water, that spirit is flowing freely today for whosoever will. That hot bread is coming out of the oven of heaven for whosoever will. That's what Bethlehem is. God was made flesh so that you and I could draw closer to him. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. The Lord is talking to you and talking to me. Substance, strength, and ultimately salvation. It's in our presence right now. The giver of water, the giver of wells, whatever you have need of, there is this God that wants to give you that source, that source of strength, that source of inspiration. doesn't want you to just be touched today. He wants you to have it residing inside of you. The Bible says that when they received the Spirit of God, it came into them and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance on this Sunday before Christmas. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed and people are praying, I ask you this question today. Have you ever received that well, that artesian well of living water? The evidence of the Holy Ghost? You've never received that. Spoke words that you didn't understand. I invite you to come forward right now and stand at this altar. And I believe God will give you fresh bread. That God will give you a well of living water. Come on, God's going to give you that strength. Maybe it's been a little while, you've been living on some stale bread, but God said, I've got some fresh bread for you today. I, I want to give you some substance to your faith. I want you to know that 
your, your prayers have not been prayed in vain that I, I'm going to do a work in your life today. I got some hot bread for you. Why don't you step out from where you're standing right now? And why don't you make your way down to the front? You say, but oh, preacher, you don't know. I've got so many things in my life. I, I, I got to get some things straight. No, you ought to just come right now with whatever is going on in your life. It may seem like it's insignificant. It may seem like it doesn't matter, but it does. God sees what you're going through. God has the answer. You may need a healing in your body. I've come to tell you about a God that can give you a substantive healing. You can know for yourself that God's real, that God's alive, and that God is at work in your life. Let's all come together. Oh, yes. He's got a fresh touch for you today. In the name of Jesus.
I'm a child. I'm a child. 